Welcome to Ride Every Stride, Episode 7. Welcome to Ride Every Stride with Van Hargis. This is a podcast about horsemanship and more. Our goal is to educate, motivate, inspire, and entertain you through an exploration of everything horsemanship and the intersection of horsemanship and humanship. My name is Laura McClellan, and I'm your co-host on Ride Every Stride. And I'm here today with Master Horseman Van Hargis, and we're going to be talking about today, Laura, different. We're, yeah, <laughs> today we're going to be talking about horses that are coming off the track, off what we call off-the-track thoroughbreds. And the reason... Why? We, we've, I get a few questions on this. As a matter of fact, some of the questions in particular were uh, sent in regarding, you know, how we would retrain, if you will, or rehabilitate horses that are off the track that people are wanting to make as eventing horses, hunter jumper horses, or even just trail horses. And in some cases, maybe people would want to convert these off the track athletes to being just Casual horses just on the just on the ranch. Let me ask yeah. a question. You used the word rehabilitate. Why would a, an off the track thoroughbred need to be rehabilitated? Well, rehabilitated mainly just in their behavior. You know, they've been allowed certain behaviors, if you will, that that maybe we wouldn't know how to handle off the track, so to speak. In other words, there's certain behaviors that that may be tolerated. A lot of the horses are off the track. Some of which, and, and of course, I'm not generalizing and put them all into the same category, but some of the horses aren't necessarily really well known for their manners and for their, for their safe behavior. Whereas, and mainly because they're handled by barn staff and professionals almost exclusively. They're not handled by novice type horsemen. And they basically have one primary job and that's just to get around the track the fastest you could possibly get. So there's certain things that, that we may not tolerate as the, the average horse populace that trainers and or their assistants would tolerate as long as the horse did his job really well going around the track. Well, this, that sort of ties back to the previous episode when you talked about groundwork and teaching a horse manners, because I know I've seen um, when I've watched racing either live or, or on TV that, you know, when they're leading the horse from the paddock or whatever, it's dancing around in a way that right. that is directly contrary to what you were saying you want your horses to do. So Exactly. So th- and part of that is that, you know, these horses are allowed to do, because, you know, I had a guy telling me a long time ago, sometimes they're barn hands and they're barn assistants. And this is actually a very well-known, very popular uh, racehorse trainer. And and I, and I asked him about that very thing. I says, man, sometimes I've seen these horses off the track that are just literally dragging their hands around and just slinging them around as if they were yeah. just like puppets. And, and you know, why wouldn't you guys spend more time in getting these suckers well-behaved and well-mannered? You know, I know it sounds cold-blooded, but he says, you know, I can get barn hands all day long. I can't get that horse's spirit to feel like he's 10 foot tall and bulletproof. So they don't want to squelch their behavior mm. too much as long as they can direct that behavior to be very aggressive toward their task, which is running around the track. Hmm. So, and some trainers will disagree with that, but I mean, at the same time, this guy is probably one of the most popular guys in the United States and nobody's going to argue with success. If it's working for him, he's not going to change it. So because of that, that has an influence on maybe how some of the other trainers allow their horses to behave. Mm -hmm. Therefore, you take the novice person out there that's going to adopt one of these horses off the track or buy one of these horses off the track and try to convert it to being the everyday stable horse or the everyday horse just around the farm or ranch. And they may be biting off more than what they can chew. And that's what this person sent the questions in asking, you know, so what are my thoughts on that? And how would we go about rehabilitating that behavior 
to make them maybe safer for the novice person. How old do you think a, a horse would be? I mean, is there a typical age when a horse is, you know, comes in off the track and it's not one that's been a big winner that's like going to stud or something, yeah. but it's run out its race career. Right. The it, typical age of a horse off the track that's going to go away and off the track is uh, not so much an age by number, but an age by performance. He could be three or he could be 10 or whatever. In other words, when he quits performing, he's too old to be on the track. But In other you, words, as long as he's producing, as long as he's winning, they're going to keep him on the track and they're going to keep him doing things. But when he becomes non-productive, you know, for whatever reason, then at that time they're going to retire him from racing and, and put him up for, either up for auction or up for adoption. So the reason I asked that question is, you know, my next question is, can you take a horse that's a 10-year-old that's been on the racing circuit and been allowed to act like that for all those years? Can the average person rehabilitate that horse to a, a level where it's going to behave properly, A? And B, if they can't, can you? I mean, oh, well, sure you can. Now, but here's the thing, too, that we, we also have to realize that these horses are athletes. They're treated like, you know, superior athletes. And not every horse, I want to emphasize that, too, not every thoroughbred off the track is... Um, a spoiled brat. Yeah, is a spoiled brat or, or is allowed to act that way. I mean, so I don't, want to, I don't want anybody to think that you have to be very cautious about that. But for those that do have the behavioral issues, there are several ways that we can go about that. And first and foremost, the first thing that I would do if I was to get a horse like that that was off the track, the first thing I would do is I would put him back on to a normal, what I'd call a normal equine diet, because these horses are fed very high-protein feeds, anything that's going to be uh, performance-enhancing, legal Mm performance-enhancing, I should say. So they're going to be given, you know, vitamins and all sorts of things to give them the utmost amount of energy for performance sake. So the first thing that I would do is I'd put them back on a normal equine diet. After a little bit of time off of that and me handling them the best way that I possibly could, then the next thing I would do is I'd try to put them with some other horses. In other words, let the horses retrain them. Let them remember what it's like to be a horse. Put them around other horses that are quiet and easygoing and Hopefully not going to be too rough on that on that horse or vice versa. That horse won't be too rough on them. But let them learn how to act socially again in that herd environment. And when I say herd environment, it could be two horses, three horses, four horses, or ever how many. But let them learn again what it's like to be a horse in a herd environment. And in that, they will learn very quickly about the leadership role. Because if you put them in a herd of, say, three or four, one of those horses is going to be the leader. So the other horse, the, say the horse off the track, may have to learn to be the subordinate. So now the leader horse is actually training this horse manners. All you've got to do is kind of follow up on that training that's already been started. And then once I begin to reestablish my leadership role with a horse, we're going to go back to doing some very basic groundwork exercises. It all would start on the ground. Just like Just, any any it, horse like you talked about exactly. in, in the previous episode. And, and then pretend the thing, they know nothing. Exactly. Pretend they know nothing. And, they and, don't. and literally I pretend they know nothing. In other words, if somebody brings me a horse that I've not had any experience at riding or I've not had any experience of, of training in any shape, form or fashion, then the first place we're gonna go probably is to the round pen. And I don't care what they tell me, what the horse's strengths and weaknesses are. I literally start as if he's never had a human hand on him. Very quickly, I will assess what his strengths are and what his weaknesses are. Where his strengths are, we kind of leave those alone. And where he reveals his weaknesses, those are the areas of the training that we're going to concentrate on to improve those areas, both for safety as well as for performance. 
And then once kind of that is established and I kind of have a better, a clearer understanding of what my horse needs, both from me as at the same time where I need to focus my, my training plan for that horse. And, and what are those basics? You know, we've covered that in some previous episodes, but we, we want to make sure the horse understands the forward movement, the control of forward movement, and lastly, the stopping of forward movement. We want him to understand that the only reason he's moving is because I'm making him move. I want him to appreciate that opportunity, if you will, to do nothing. In other words, if he wants to move, by all means, let him move. And I want to try to get him to the point where he thinks moving is consuming a tremendous amount of calories. Therefore, that resting and relaxing is a privilege. It's, it's an opportunity for him to relax and rest, both mentally and physically. So that's kind of my starting spot. And the other thing that I would think about is that horses off the track, especially in our northern hemisphere, all of our horses travel to the left. So a lot of the horses are much more responsive. You mean, you mean when they're running around the track? Right. When okay. they're going to the track, they're, they travel to the left. So if that's the case, then we would probably assume and probably assume so correctly that those horses are going to be a little bit more responsive to the left and they're probably going to be even more, even more inclined at a canter or faster to pick the left lead. So we're going to have to go and rehabilitate the horse physically also to condition his body to bend and flex equally to the right as he does to the left. In other words, we're going to start working to make a little bit more of an athletic ambidextrous out of him. We want him to be really equal to on, on both sides. And with that said, I want people to understand too that just because it's a horse, don't think that they're not going to be left or right-handed just like we as humans. And I don't care how good we are as I say, a human basketball player. If you're right-handed, you're going to be better with your right hand than you are your left. Even though you may master your left hand and you may do extremely well, you're still going to have a favorite side. And the reason I say that is because no matter how hard we work on a horse that favors one side or a horse that's, let's say, left-handed, we have to accept the fact that he's probably never going to be as good to the right. And that's okay. We don't expect perfection and total equality on both sides but we can darn sure improve it. We can try to get that as close as we possibly can. But if it's not perfect, I don't think anyone should necessarily be completely disappointed. We would just want to strive for perfection and then work toward it, knowing that we're never going to necessarily achieve it. Okay. So those are all some things we want to consider, you know, with the thoroughbred is it our, our retraining program. And again, my solution is, is that go all the way back to ground zero, go to as if the horse has never been handled, never been touched and uh, treat him like he's a cult, regardless if he's, three or 23. And that way we learn even more about that specific horse. And most importantly, we give that horse another an opportunity to learn what our boundaries are, what are our standards. And it establishes a relationship from that moment on as to what's acceptable behavior and what's unacceptable behavior. I want to make sure we answer all the components of the questions that were asked. But I mean, do you think that there really are I guess the perception is that there are some real different and unique challenges in working with an off-the-track thoroughbred or maybe thoroughbreds in general. I mean, going back to that picture that I've seen of the horse being led from the paddock to the track and dancing around, I mean, I always sort of thought and had been told thoroughbreds are just high-strung and high-spirited and they're always going to act like that. I mean, is that a unique thing to that breed? Is that a, I'm just thinking in terms of somebody that's maybe considering, you know, getting one of these horses as their horse, what do they need to be thinking about? Well, kind of unlike the quarter horses, for example, quarter horses were bred for both disposition as well as functionality in their confirmation. Whereas thoroughbreds were bred pretty much 
for racing. To be fast. Right. Bred to be fast. They, they didn't really care how crazy or idiotic or whatever term you want to put on that, that they were high strung, as, as you said. Those are all positive characteristics as long as a horse is performing. But with that said, I've also seen some horses that were incredibly great performers that were thoroughbreds that were just as laid back as any quarter horse I've ever seen. So Mm -hmm. we have to understand that that sometimes can be a stereotype Mm -hmm. and it's not always applicable to each and every horse. So I would recommend then when, when we get ready to go adopt or buy a horse off the track is we consider that personality. And we also consider... You know, is this a horse that is by nature high strung? Is this a horse that is by nature aggressive or, you know, fractious and, and anxious? Or is he really just kind of laid back, but he's kind of maybe high strung just because of his diet? Yeah, that's and, what I was wondering yeah. if the fact that they're fed this, this you know, high octane fuel, so to speak, right. contributes to that. That and unfortunately, a lot of thoroughbreds off the track don't get a lot of turnout time. Mm -hmm. They get very little turnout time. More times than not, they spend a lot of time in the stall, a lot of a lot of time on a walker of some sort. Well, when you spend that much money, some of these horses were incredibly expensive, and if you spent you know that much money on a horse, I don't know how enthusiastic you are going to be about turning them out to. Well, that's a debate. Too. I, well, I know, you know but I'm just really, saying. Yeah, you're right. You because, know. you know, what, there's an old cliche that we used to say all the time in the horse industry. It said, what do we do with the people in our society that we hate the most? We put them in prison. What do you do with the horses that we love the most? We're you put, put them in, in prison. prison. Yeah. So we, we, we take into consideration, yeah, we're protecting this horse physically, but what are we doing to this horse on an emotional level? So you take these guys on an emotional level. They have no idea how to control their emotions. They've got all this energy because they've been fed an incredibly good diet, and then they've put into a closet, you know, a 12 by 12 closet or 14 by 14 if they're lucky, but they've been put into that very small space and then expected to walk out of the stall and be perfect little gentlemen on their way to the track. And it's just very contradictory how that could really happen. So we, it's, we have to be very understanding of the, the horse in that situation. Now, maybe we could provide a nice, safe environment for the horse to be turned out in and let the horse dispel some of that energy. And that's something we definitely ought to, ought to consider. But I want to say this, though. I'm a, I'm a big supporter of the horses off the track. I mean, I don't think there's a horse for everybody, like some people might argue. But at the same time, I think that there are some really good horses that are coming off the track that if they can be proven to be sound, that they make exceptional athletes in other areas, such as hunter-jumper, uh, eventing-type horses. Um, you know, I've even known some that's gone on and done well in endurance, even though the Arabians still kind of dominate that industry. But thoroughbreds have also been bred for endurance, and they do well in the endurance racing. Um, I've known some that have, have adopted the thoroughbreds and converted them into barrel horses and even team roping horses. So they make really good horses for other walks of life other than just being on the track. So the question is, is that how do we go about I'm going to use the word again, rehabilitating them from one specific area of expertise, the track, to any of these others. And again, my simple solution is, is just treat the horse as if he's never been handled at all. Take his strengths and applaud yourself and applaud the horse for having those. Discover his weaknesses and begin to work on those weaknesses to help the horse be a little bit more universal for your task. And maybe we we could have started with this, but I, I think this is interesting. It, it's obvious that these horses can be taken and rehabilitated, retrained, and put to other tasks. And I know there are organizations that are really kind of out there trying to match these horses up right. with, with owners. And maybe we can put some suggestions in the show notes if there's somebody that might be interested sure. in getting involved in that. But taking a step back, if a person thinks they might want to 
get one of these, whether adopt by whatever an off the track thoroughbred in general, other than bad manners, what else should they be aware of and looking at? We've mentioned the manners thing that that's going to have to be dealt with and looking at what their personality is. You've mentioned the fact that they're cooped up, fed high octane food and to do, they need to be looking at what that does to their mind. Right. And you touched on soundness. Right. Maybe talk about kind of all those things and whatever else a person should be really aware of before they take on the task of... Well, to me, with any horse, Laura, whether it be off the track or otherwise, you know, I, I would probably never purchase a horse I, at any price. I don't care what it is. I, I don't want to take on somebody else's headache. So with any horse, I'm going to go talk to a very qualified veterinarian. I'm going to listen very closely to what the previous owners have had to say about the horse. And at the same time, with that, I'm going to take that information and pass that information on to a very qualified veterinarian, somebody that I trust. And we're going to give the horse a complete physical, if you will, uh, what we call a pre-purchase exam. And that veterinarian will check everything from heart rate to pulse to, you know, the soundness of the legs, doing a lameness exam to make sure the horse is fit, healthy. And once he gives me the bill of the, you know, the bill of health there and says everything's good, because, you know, as much as I've been around horses and it's been my own, my entire life, I still don't claim that I'm ever as educated as a veterinarian in that specific area. Yeah, I may see things that I don't like. I may see things that, that I can tolerate. But the veterinarians have been trained to see things that I haven't. And then when he sees those things and he points them out to me, then I have to make a good decision based on the information from the previous owner as well as the veterinarian and then also my gut. I'm guessing there's probably no such thing as a perfectly sound horse all the time. What sorts of things, physical things, might be found in a horse that's coming off a track and which ones would make them kind of useless for any purpose or which ones of those kinds of things they might suffer from, so to speak, can you live with? Sure. Well, mainly any kind of horse, uh, an athletic horse of any discipline, whether it be off the track or otherwise, there's always a risk of having some sort of joint damage. Mm -hmm. And when you consider a thoroughbred as big as they are and as fast as they're moving around the track. And if you take those major joints that are really working, everything from, we'll just go on the front legs, from the elbow to the knee to the ankle, and then all the numerous joints and moving things in the horse's hoof, you know, all the way from the pasture and all the way to the hoof itself, those are the things that are going to be mostly closely examined. Uh, those are the areas that they could have some soreness. It could be just inflammation from running on the track, or it could be some bone chipping or some cartilage damage, all of those types of things that can be determined by your veterinarian, some of which he can just do a physical external test. And if the horse shows any signs of lameness, then x-rays can be taken. And I would recommend x-rays anyway, because sometimes horses may not necessarily um, reveal too awfully much about their soundness just from a physical exam. But when you see the x-rays, you can see potential problems. And now if I'm going to take the horse off the track, I'm going to do something like, oh, just go do trail riding on him or just do some hacking around the ranch or whatever the case may be. Unless it's something fairly major, something fairly obvious or something that the vet would tell me to be really cautious of, then I would have to ask myself, well, what are we really going to be using the horse for? Mm -hmm. And if it's something very minor athletically, those injuries may not necessarily bother me. If it's my goal would be to take the horse and to do something more such as endurance riding or hunter jumper eventing type things, I have to realize those are going to be a lot more impacting on those joints. So if we've already got a problem started, we're probably not going to do anything but make it worse if we're going to continue to use the horse in that area. Um, so if I can't get a good clean bill of health, I'm probably not going to take the risk of that horse if I'm going to go use it for something extremely physical. 
And again, that's not to say that the horse is not a good for something, maybe. I just want to be very cautious and be honest with myself as well as honest with my horse as to what may be asked of him when we do get him off the track. So it's really the exam and and all those things are not necessarily intended. You're not looking to like disqualify a horse or something. It's what do we got here? Right. And how does that work with what I had in mind to do with this horse? Exactly. And to me, it's a balance of both. I mean, what do I want to do with a horse? And do I want to nurse a crippled horse? (laughs) But other side of it is I want to do what's right for the horse. Yeah. Do I want to take the horse off a track, which may he's retiring off the track for a reason. Either he's not winning or he's hurt or something. So he's coming off the track for a reason. And if it's because he's lame in some way, even not to the point where he's limping, but he's sore, do I want to take him and make him sore for the rest of his life? I mean, how selfish do I really want to be? I mean, either way, we're exploiting the darn horse. I don't care how you look at it. We're exploiting the darn horse. We've had that conversation. But nonetheless, I don't want to cause him more physical harm and any more physical pain. So just for the sake of, of, you know, his health, mental health and otherwise, um, I just need to be very honest with myself and what the tasks that I'm really going to use him for. And then to myself, I want to ask, you know, is it, is it fair is it, to that horse? You're right. Is, is it, it fair to the horse? And is it fair to myself to have to deal with that? Yeah. And, um, and if I can't make those two marry, it's just not worth it. There's other horses out there that's probably going to be better for the task. But, you know, there's another thing we want to touch on, too, and it kind of goes back to the training and a little bit about the behavior about horses off the track. You know, we mentioned about them always going to the left. So the most horses off the track are going to be dominantly left-leaded. So, yeah, we need to spend a tremendous amount of time trying to get them a little bit more ambidextrous, a little bit more balanced to that right side. But there's another issue, and part of this is fallacy and part of it's true, but there's a, a, a concern from a lot of folks that when a horse is running off the track, that if we're holding on to the bit, then aren't those horses trained to run harder into the bit? And that's a yes and a no situation. Yes, in the sense that horses have to have a certain amount of resistance and collection, if you will, for them to perform at their best. And when I say resistance for them to perform at their best, I usually just ask people this question. If I was to give you a baseball and a tennis ball, which one could you throw the furthest? Probably the baseball. Yeah. And why would you think that would be? It's denser and heavier. Exactly. So with that resistance, when we go to throw it, not only does it take more effort on us to get it going, but once it goes, it carries itself to a certain degree. But we need that resistance so that we can add more force behind it. So now let's take that from to the performance standpoint. We've got a horse here that's like a tennis ball, and he's he can just run like the wind. But by himself, he doesn't have that resistance. So if we offer in the bit a little bit of resistance there, now we're allowing those big muscles from the bit back to push against that resistance. Is it almost like bracing against something or something to, I don't know. I hate to use the word brace because brace tends to make us think that we're going to tense up certain muscles. But yet when we're, when we're throwing a baseball, it's much more fluid. Mm -hmm. So that's the benefit of the rider. The rider has to balance that brace is the word that you just use. We have to balance that pressure, not to the point where it's offering them something to brace against and get tense against and resistant against, but just enough resistance, if you will, to offer that opportunity for more power to be driven from behind. In a nutshell, this is, we're going to do a whole episode on this, but in a nutshell, that's collection. We're balancing the horse's effort with amount of resistance to get ultimate performance. Hmm. And balance is the key there. You know, I always tell everybody when people ask me about collection, I say, oh, you mean balance? 
And I'm doing it just to jack with them, of course. But, <laughs> but to me, balance and, and collection is synonymous. That we, what we're trying to do is we're trying to get that balanced effort. And in the, in the thoroughbred, that balanced effort on the bit, that balanced effort on the bridle, affords them the opportunity to push more with more power and more performance from behind. Now, it also offers them an opportunity to increase the length of stride, if that makes any sense to people. And what I mean by that is, is that with a little bit of resistance there, we're going to create, if you will, an opportunity for that hind quarter to reach further and touch the ground further up underneath the horse. And then the longer that hind quarter, as long as that leg is on the ground pulling, then the more power that horse has. Mm-hmm. The weakest a horse or weakest a, horse a human can be is with when, when we're running is when we're off the ground. Our power comes from when we've got our foot on the ground and that motor, if you will, is engaged, pushing and driving forward. So the more power, the longer that leg is on the ground pulling and pushing, then the more power, the more speed that the horse can obtain. It's, so, it's sort of like, I mean, as you were talking, I'm picturing the effect of gravity exactly. on our ability to run. We can't run where there's no gravity. It's what pushes us, lets us push off the ground and exactly. move forward instead of just it all dissipating. Exactly. So there comes in the, the benefit, if you will, of mm-hmm. the horse using that bit to lengthen the stride. And again, use that power, keep mm-hmm. that foot on the ground longer and drive longer. And that's also the benefit of having a really, really good jockey. Not only is he reading the field ahead of him, but he also knows his horse's strengths and weaknesses enough to know when to offer that resistance and when to let the horse run freely, so to speak. But the question from a, a, a rider that's off the track, what do you do with a horse that's been trained that way? And it's, it's never been a problem for me because I've done exactly what I mentioned a little while ago. I've taken the horse back down to ground zero. So it doesn't take long at all for the horse to forget about the old. In other words, forget about the past and start thinking about what it's going to take to survive the present. And thank God, that's one of the reasons that horses are so easy to train. They kind of forget about yesteryear and they live in, and they live in the moment. So they want to survive the moment. All we have to do is to show them what we need and show them what we need, what we want from them in order to survive that moment. Interesting. So what, just in general, what are your sort of closing thoughts on the idea of off the track thoroughbreds as horses that the average person might get and, Well, the the good thing about the -the off-the-track thoroughbreds is they're very affordable, and most of the time they're great animals. And most of the time, for them to have any kind of success on a track, they also have to have good confirmation. There's very few horses um, that have any success at all on the track that don't have good confirmation. So when you're going to buy one, you know that if he's had any success at all, that chances are he's going to be put together quite nice, which to us means not only is he going to be put together good for function, but it looks Pretty. good. That's right. It looks good. It's <laughs> so when a horse is balanced with good confirmation, it lo- looks nice. So that's a good comfort thing for us. Another thing is they're also very affordable. There's some organizations out there that literally adopt them out. They get the horses off the track and they adopt them out. And these adoption fees are very affordable. Um, there's other horses that you can literally buy off the track because these guys need to get rid of them. And they're they're very affordable in that sense. So to me, some of the better qualities or some of the better reasons for getting one is affordability and functionality. No disrespect at all to the third, but it's just not my kind of horse. I'm more of a ranch guy. Therefore, the quarter horse was literally bred to work on the ranch. And they're more of a stock horse type horse. They suit my needs better. But for those folks that are seeking out hunter jumper prospects and, you know, eventing prospects, uh, even dressage prospects, these horses are great movers. Uh, they have the balance and the speed that it would take to be successful in some of these other areas. So by all means, I think they're 
in essence, I think they're a great value for a lot of folks in a lot of areas. But be prepared to do the work or to hire someone to do the work with exactly. you to get that horse. Don't think you're just going to ride them off the track and out onto the yes. eventing field. Right. And more times than not, that is the biggest issue is that people get them off the track. They think, oh, they're already broke to ride. But then they have a hard time understanding why the horse won't stand in a crowd. Mm-hmm. If there's another horse moving or trotting beside him, why that horse is eager to get past to, to get past him and <laughs> yeah. and then they wonder if they can rehabilitate that by pulling back on the horse and why that doesn't work and mm-hmm. these horses seem very heavy and 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 a non-responsive in the mouth what bit do we use on these guys and the thing is they're putting the icing ahead of the cake in other words mm-hmm. they they need to go all the way back down to ground zero retrain the horse to be light and soft in the face very responsive teach him that he's not in a race every time and those are slow processes. So you're right. Yes, you may be getting the horse very affordably, but you're still going to have to do your due diligence and time with the horse in order to have a horse that's going to be good and safe to be ridden in other areas. Lots to think about that. That's yeah. really very interesting. And I think you've done a good job of answering some questions, but I'll bet there are our listeners who have other questions that maybe we haven't thought of. And um We'd sure encourage those people to send the questions. You can get questions or suggestions to us via email to van at info at vanhargis.com. There's also a contact form on the website at vanhargis.com in which you can, uh, you know, send your name and email address and uh, a question or two. And finally, you can send questions to us through the Facebook page. So look for Van Hargis Horsemanship on Facebook, uh, like the page, and it's checked regularly. And so any questions that folks have can sure put them in there that way. We like to, I know you like to interact with people on there. Yeah. I would also say if just speaking as a non-professional, if somebody's thinking about doing this who's not a professional horse man, horseman or horsewoman, really consider having somebody with some expertise go with you and don't don't just go pick the one that's prettiest off the thing. And in addition to answering questions about this, it, it occurs to me that some folks may be interested in working with you more one-on-one or having more time to learn from you on the things that you're doing. And so anybody who's interested in doing that, certainly send an email Again, to info at vanhargis.com. If you'd like to spend more time with Van, consider hosting a clinic in your area and, uh, you know, get a group of friends together and have them come in and work with you and your horses. And, and you touched on one thing there, Laura. We do do private consultations mm-hmm. with people. And there's been numerous times that I've been called to, to almost go across country and help people evaluate a purchase situation. And, and all I ever ask in that situation is just let me emphasize that I'm evaluating both human and horse at that stage. <laughs> I'm trying to find what I think is match. the match between the two. And um, so we would love to do something like that. And, and um, so let's make that happen for people contacting us, Laura, and, and uh, get in contact with us and let us know if we can help you out in that regard. We'd be, we'd be tickled to death, too. And with that said, too, Laura, I'd like to express my gratitude to everyone for listening and, uh, and again, extend that invitation for them to contact us uh, via the information that's available on our website. And, and as always, folks, we look forward to talking to you guys again and again and again. So for those of you who are listening, please do contact us and, and let us know if there's anything, any specific issues you'd like for us to cover. And until next time, remember, it's your trail, your journey, your life. So ride every stride.